You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number three. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan, live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio at the bottom of the hour. Sportsnet's Michael Grains will join us. Canada punching their tickets to the Olympics next summer in Paris in basketball at the FIBAs. They'll take on Slovenia tomorrow. Uh, the USA waxing Italy right now, 83-44 in the fourth quarter. Yikes. Um, our next guest, uh, if he wants to, can have takes on uh, the FIBA World Championships, but we're, we're, um, we want to talk some NFL. Uh, Charles Davis, NFL analyst on CBS on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Charles, good morning. How are you? Doing well, doing really well. Hope you guys are great. And real quick, you know, this FIBA World Championships, Back in yep. a former life when I actually worked for a living, yep. I, I used to work for the United States <laughs> Olympic Committee. And oh, no way. One year, yeah, do you remember remember the old Goodwill games? Yeah. Remember when yes. those, those existed? And yes. they, were in, they were in Seattle, and the U.S. basketball team was led by Coach Mike Krzyzewski, and it was still college kids. All right, this was, this was the forerunner mm-hmm. of dream teams, right at the tail end of it. And it was a good team. Don't get me wrong. Believe me, it was Alonzo Mourning and Kenny Anderson and Billy Owens. and I mean, it was a really good team. But Yugoslavia still existed as a country. It had yes. not split. So on that team was <laughs> Drazen Petrovic, Dino yeah. Raja, Tony Kukoc, uh, yeah. you know, all that, that crew. And that crew was the best team in the world. It was kind of the forerunner of where we are right now. Because once the dream team started up, we reasserted our dominance in basketball, the United States did, because now the pros were playing. But all the other countries voted for us to have pros in the Olympic Games because they knew if what we did that, it set the bar for where they had to chase. And what have we seen since the first dream team in 1992? We've seen the chase. And where are right. we now? The U.S. is never a lock to win everything. Okay? These other countries are terrific. Lithuania, look at all the top stars in the NBA. The back-to-back MVP is from Serbia. You get the idea. All of what they thought back then has come right. true, and we're staring at it right now. Uh, fun fact, um, my parents are born there in Serbia, um, Charles, and I went as a kid – was really young. I saw Yugoslavia play Canada at Brock University in an exhibition, and they absolutely waxed them back in the late 80s. <laughs> they were so good. They yes. were so good, weren't they? Before Yugoslavia broke up, they were so good. I remember in those Goodwill games, Kukoc came down the lane on a drive, and Alonzo Morning, you remember, he was a great rim protector. And he came over, and he threw it in about the eighth round. And then threw a little verbal <laughs> trash his way as well. About two possessions later, Kukoc comes down the lane again on a fast break. And Morning's there to meet him. And Kukoc changed hands and threw it down in his face. I remember sitting there, and I was sitting with a prominent newspaper person. I won't use his name because he's not here. And he just looked at me. I looked at him, and he said, the world's changing. <laughs> I'll never forget it. That's awesome. The world is changing. Um, Charles, what's your what's your right before the season ritual? Do you have any right now as the season kicks off on Thursday, or does that wait till the opener? Do you do anything special? 
organization is really it. And special wouldn't be the word. It's just routine more than anything else. I make sure all the things that I know I need to have for the season are there. You know, my supplies, so to speak, right? Enough paper for my printer, extra cartridges for when the ink runs out, you know, stuff like that. Do I have enough pens? Do I have the writing tablets that I need? The type of note cards that I like to utilize? You know, everyone has their own routines and rituals and ways of doing things. I just make sure all of that is taken care of. My travel kit, my travel bag, you know, is it, does it have all the supplies that I need? Do I have my toothpaste? You know, that's it. Because right now that's where I am. So all I, all I did was lock that down right before Memorial, right before our Labor Day. And now all I've done since then is, is lock in on the opening game and start studying and being prepared. Now, this past weekend, I know that college football kind of returns with week one. They had week zero already, yeah. so that's big for the Americans as well. But how do you kind of look at this past weekend? The last weekend, there's no preseason. Week one starts on Thursday. What's the vibe like over the course of this last weekend for you? It's a great vibe. Um, in the past, I've had to do a college game for NFL Network, and this year I did not have to do that. And so I got the last full weekend off, you know, so I got some couch time. I got some college football time. You know, all that organization I talked about I could do with the TV on and a, more, a little more relaxed state because normally I would do that last college game on a Sunday, and then my opener was the next Sunday. Boy, what a luxury it was this year, not having that and going, oh, I felt the angels singing and the heavens opening. And I was like, you know, a man could get used to this. I want to do this every year like that, have that last weekend open. And a lot of that changed, too, when the NFL changed the preseason from four games to three Mm -hmm. because we end the preseason earlier. Mm. You know, it used to be about 10 days before the opener. Now it's much more time. So I am – I took full advantage of it, and let's say I like that schedule. <laughs> I like it a lot. Yeah, I, I don't blame you at all. What uh, what game do we have you on for week one? I've got, well, um, I say I, my team, Ian Eagle, Evan Washburn, myself, and the rest of our great crew, we will be in Cleveland for Cincinnati oh. and Cleveland Battle of Ohio. <laughs> we, we think it's a great way to open up. We get to see Joe Burrow's return, of course. We get to see Deshaun Watson now having had the full off season, no suspension, and he has to earn that $236 million this year. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no easing into it. There's no waiting. It has to start right now because the team and the roster is good, and they're good enough to be a playoff contending team in a great division, but he has to play like the reason they paid him that money. If he does not, then they won't realize that, and that money will not be well spent. So there's a lot of pressure on him, but – that's what he signed up for, and we can't wait to go watch it. it. Is Deshaun Watson's play going to be maybe the biggest X factor in that AFC North division? Because like you look at everything else, and I think we kind of know what to expect out of the other three teams. I think you're right about that, because we expect Kenny Pickett to continue to rise. We saw some of that at the end of last year. We knew the numbers weren't you know, the top numbers you would have. But we saw the grit. We saw the comeback ability. We saw him make some big plays and key moments down the stretch to help them win all those games and get close to the playoffs. So that's not a major surprise. You just keep waiting for him to continue to ascend. So I think that you've hit the nail on the head. Deshaun Watson's play will determine a lot about the AFC North. He will determine whether Cleveland's a contender or not. 
Like it's, it's, it's you know, duh, quarterback, but it feels mm-hmm. like more, doesn't it? Because of what they did to get him, how he's, he hit Cleveland where he couldn't even play the first 11 games, and then when he came back, he was rather pedestrian. All that's out the window now. He's got to go be the guy that they signed for $236 million guaranteed. Charles, if he stays healthy, can Lamar Jackson be a dark horse from the MVP? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Because he has continued to progress as a passer. Would you put him up there in the upper echelon of passers in the NFL? I think that that is, is, is taking it too far. Is he as bad as some people who are down on him as a passer make him out to be? I think that's taking it too far. Hmm. But if he can make any type of a leap – with the new stuff they're going to do with Todd Munkin. And Todd Munkin, as a new offensive coordinator for Baltimore, is also, I think he's an intelligent man. He's not going to get away from Lamar running the football. He's not going to get away from that being a part of their game. I think he wants to try and find more favorable spots for him to throw the ball. And by the way, this is the best receiving core he's had by far across Mm -hmm. the board. He doesn't have to just look for Mark Andrews on every key throw. All right, that's the way it's set up right now. Yes, I agree totally. He could be a dark horse candidate, although we're going to use dark horse just because in the last two years he's been injured. But he's been right. MVP before. He should be in it every year. Mm-hmm. Charles Davis, uh, NFL analyst for CBS, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest Holly and Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Obviously, Chiefs and Lions kicking off the season on Thursday night. That should be super interesting. How messy is this Chris Jones Chief situation right now? Messier than what I would have expected. I'm used to the Chiefs finding a way to get things worked out. I actually, as we went into Labor Day weekend, I had more optimism that Chris Jones and Nick Bosa would both sign before the opener than a lot of other people. And that <laughs> that that is losing steam rapidly for me, <laughs> especially with Chris Jones. I just don't see him getting there before Thursday now. And if, it, if things go the way that it's kind of been – Positive, you know, posited, it could go all the way up to week eight. And Kansas City's got a brutal schedule. I mean, I don't, they don't ever get credit for the schedule because they're Kansas City and the defending champs, but they play everybody. And they're, right. you know, so they're going to need him. Now, if they can get him back by week eight and he plays to the level we're used to seeing without getting hurt, but that's a big if because how many times have we seen guys hold out and when they come back, is it the same year? How many times do we see him come back and get hurt by week two? You yeah. know, things of that nature. And they're not just not the same player. Kansas City has to have Chris Jones. He is huge for them in terms of pass rush and all that because that team is used to playing with a lead with Patrick Mahomes. Without Chris Jones, you're not playing with a lead. You're playing straight shootout. Now, is Kansas City equipped with Mahomes? Yes. But is that a way you want to live every week? No. Who plays first, Chris Jones or Jonathan Taylor? I would have, you know, two weeks ago I would have said Jonathan Taylor without a doubt, but I'm going with Chris Jones. I feel like Jonathan wow. Taylor's really dug in on this one. I really feel like he this this is the most dug in I've seen in a long time. And it goes back to this. Pride and ego are what drive these people that we see play on Sundays to the highest levels, and we applaud and we love it. Pride and ego can also be your downfall. We know this in regular life, (laughs) not just in athletics. And he met face-to-face with the owner 
after they kind of, you know, picked at each other social media wise, right? He left the owner's meeting and doubled down on asking for a trade. That's dug in to me. Like you, when you meet with the owner, the person who's going to write that check for you (laughs) and you've got no satisfaction and you're, and you're mad enough that you tell us, I still want to be traded. Yeah. I'm going to go with Chris Jones before Jonathan Taylor. Charles, I'm fascinated by what happens with the Arizona Cardinals this season and just how bad they can actually get. This tank job is impressive. We're only a couple years removed (laughs) from them losing in the wild card game to the Rams, but I'm really curious just to see what happens with Kyler Murray here. We know he's not healthy yet, but as this season goes on, once he starts to kind of get closer, I wonder what happens with this Cardinals team, depending on where they're at and what he could do to disrupt this tank. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's it's one of those things that as we go along with it, he's doubt we know the first four games. What we have to remember as fans and people covering, that doesn't mean he's automatically ready for week five. We just know that they had to put him on IR to start the season so they could handle their roster, et cetera, and no one would sit around asking the same questions every week. Is Kyler going to play this week? No, Hmm. he can't play the first four. That doesn't mean week five, game five, he's back. We'll have to see. I mean, if the injury happened late in the season last year. And the other part is what you talked about. Would they actually slow him down coming back? Because the other part of it is, do you want to make a deal for Kyler Murray somewhere else in the league and be able to use your draft pick for the top quarterback coming out this year? Right now, people are saying Caleb Williams. But you remember the old tank for Tua? Tua didn't even be, mm-hmm. Tua wasn't even the first quarterback who came off the board. So we don't know who it's going to be when it gets there. It's right. just speculation right now. And this Cardinals team could be positioned to have picks one and two in the draft. Insane. Okay, I don't yeah. think that they are deliberately tanking, but they are not setting up their roster, I think, for a run for the playoffs in 2023. <laughs> I think they're setting up their roster to try and get going 24, 25, you get the idea. That's, that's, that's the way I look at it. And look, Josh Dobbs at this stage in his life versus Colt McCoy is an upgrade at the quarterback position, not a downgrade, as many people are trying to put it. Charles, who has a better season, Dak Prescott or Kirk Cousins? Sorry, I'm, I'm hitting you with hard with, ones um, today. Sorry. Yeah, No, I, I like it. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going with Dak Prescott. He's not going to throw okay. 15 interceptions this year, okay? I love his receiving core. Um, if Tony Pollard is full go at running back, they'll be able to move it and run it well. Um, Zach Martin is satisfied with his contract at guard. They have those big, strong people up front again. I like Dak's makeup. I like the fact that he can have that little chip this year because, you know, everybody's starting to write him off again. And, oh, I don't know if he's that guy who can take you far. And I just feel like Minnesota is going to take a little bit of a step back this year. I'm not predicting out-and-out gloom, hmm. but I think we've talked about it before, guys. They won 11 games by one score last year. 11 or 12, whatever it was. They set an NFL record. Do you know how hard that is to do? It's so hard that Dallas has led the league in takeaways two years in a row. Prior to that, it was a Legion of Boom defense in Seattle. I think Dan Quinn coached both of those defenses. It's hard to do. It's hard to get the ball to bounce your way one year and get to bounce your way a second year in a row. 
it's hard to win close games one year and win all those close games the second year in a row. I think Minnesota takes a little bit of a step back. I like Prescott to have the big year. There's uh, quite a few Seattle Seahawks fans out in this neck of the woods. In their division, they do have the vaunted 49ers, but apart from that, the Cardinals and the Rams. How's your outlook for the Seahawks this season? I think they get to the playoffs again. Um, I love what they did last year, being so young up front on the offensive line, starting two rookie tackles, (laughs) and now you're just into your second year and things are better there. I think they continue to upgrade that offensive line. They've got to get Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet healthy at running back so they can do what Pete Carroll really wants to do on offense, which will help Geno Smith out in a big way. Jackson Smith and Jigba had the surgery. He's going to be okay catching the football. So you got three big-time receivers you know, on the perimeter. Like what they're doing there. The weird part is when you think of Pete Carroll in Seattle, you start with defense, don't you? And we have mm-hmm. not observed a good defense in Seattle in about five years. Can that defense make the leap? They feel like they can this year. That'll tell the tale. I do think that they're a playoff team again this season. But to go deeper, that defense has got to make a heck of a jump. And look, on the back end, I think you're in good shape. As soon as Weatherspoon gets gets going again, you know, from the hamstring, Tariq Woolen off of the knee surgery, but he's a heck of a ball hawk back there. Everyone keeps bringing Jamal Adams into it. Jamal Adams is a force as a one-note player. And I hope that does not come off the wrong way because I have nothing but respect for him. I played against his dad in college, okay, who was a number one pick for the Giants of running back, and he was a load to try and get down. Jamal's a load on the other side trying to block. But you never talk about his coverage ability because he, he doesn't do it very much, if any. He's a blitzer, force at the line of scrimmage, and he's been hurt a lot lately. I won't, I'm not counting on him being that same guy. And we'll never see another year where he's going to get nine and a half sacks in a season. I mean, it's just not going to happen. All right. If it does more power to him and I will be the first to applaud. I just don't see it happening, but I think this defense is going to be better with him or without it. Charles, one of my favorite things to do when I'm watching the Stampeders is watch their coaches on the sideline. Cause you don't get to watch <laughs> them on TV and they get very animated. Yeah. And when I think of the NFL, Pete Carroll is one of those guys you get to go to all these different stadiums, watch all these different teams. Do you have yeah. a favorite coach to watch when you're in building? Ah, Pete, Pete's a great one because he bounces around and he's working the gum and the oh, enthusiasm yeah. is there. And, and, and by the way, that's how he lives. Like I covered him in college when he was at USC and I was at a USC practice and they were having a goal line period. And Pete literally jumped in. Now, you have to remember, this would have been what? During his run at SC, so 2004, five, you know, that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He jumps in at quarterback. It's a full pads day. He runs a bootleg and dives for the goal line yeah. against guys in full pads. About three guys cracking. <laughs> he gets in, spikes the ball, blows the whistle. Next period. And it's the first guy sprinting down the field to go to the next period. You think that team wasn't motivated? That's Pete. Right. Mike Tomlin is the coolest coach I've ever been around and mm. watched. I was doing NFL games in 2009-10. I think it was the season opener against Atlanta. Atlanta comes to town. Pittsburgh wanted an overtime. Palomalo made a great play in overtime, as he was wont to do. But during the game – 
we actually, our camera people did such a wonderful job. Mike Tomlin was standing next to an official, had his shades on like he does. He's staring straight out on the field, right? Now, you know, a lot of times the coaches tell the officials, listen, I'm going to want a timeout, but I want the clock to get to such and such. So just work with me here. And the official stands there. Mike's standing, looking straight out, never looks at the official. And now the side of his mouth, and our cameras caught it perfectly, you, you see him go, timeout. And he just said it's so cool. Never looked at the guy. Didn't demonstrate. Didn't take the hands in a T. Nothing. Just went timeout. And then turned on a heel and walked in the other direction. And you see the official signal the timeout. I believe I said on air that may be the coolest timeout that's ever been called in history. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Charles, before I let you go, uh, this is our uh, last hit before the season starts, and then we got you when yeah. the season starts, and we're we'll full yeah. full bore. Give me your Super Bowl prediction, early September, oh, Charles Davis. God, I somebody asked me this a while ago, and I think I said Cowboys and someone else because I was in the mood to really screw with people. Um, I'm not saying Dallas can't get there. I do think they've got it in them to make a big run, but they have history going against them because they just haven't done it for a while. So let's go Buffalo coming out of the AFC. They have, okay. some things, they have, some, things, they have some things to solve, but they have yeah. the talent to do it. I'm going to go Buffalo coming out of the AFC. And... Against all odds, Philadelphia finds their way back. Wow. Buffalo-Philly in, in, in the title game. Now, remember, in the NFC East, the last team to repeat as a division champion was Philadelphia 2004. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have not repeated as a division champion since then. No one in that division. I'm going against odds and saying Philly does that. It gets back to the Super Bowl. buffalo Philadelphia, love it. That would be an incredible Super Bowl. Now, now call we, me tomorrow, and I'll have a different two for you. Okay, probably. <laughs> oh, it is September. It's fine. A lot of injuries happen. Who knows uh, what the season's going to happen? But we're all excited, Charles. Thanks for this. We'll talk to you next week, pal. Hey, look forward to it. Thanks a lot, guys. It's going to be fun to be with you again this season. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Uh, there's Charles Davis, NFL on CBS. He'll have not a bad start. Browns and Bengals on Sunday. He'll have the call. Uh, I'm going to be glued as long as they put it yeah. on the tube. The idiot box. I um, I, I did I, uh, I did visible fist pumps in here when he said he was doing the Bengals and Browns game. Like who day? Let's go. Season's he, here, um, baby. Browns we're so lucky stink. to have. We're so lucky to have that guy. Like, oh, he's so good. He's on like the games, the big games you watch on Sunday. He is doing the color commentary. Like, we're so lucky to have that guy. Yeah, he's like, the, he the is second so crew on time. CBS. Yeah, like he's so big time. Like, yeah, after, uh, mind you, I think at this point, Charles is better than uh, Tony Romo. I don't know, Jim. Yeah, no, <laughs> Like, that's all he says now. I don't know, Jim. Yeah, yeah, Jim. Uh, There's no analysis anymore. What happened to the Tony Romo telling you what the play yeah, happens before it happens? Now he's just like, should be a good one, Jim. Yeah, this will be a back. This is a big third down, Jim. Oh, and guess where they are this week? Uh, they're they're Philadelphia, New England. Nance and Romo. Yeah. That's good. When's the Tom Brady game? Week two. Week two is when they bring back. Uh, when I okay. believe they're honoring uh, Tom. Yeah, uh, Sunday Night Football. Miami, New England is when they retire number twelve. Return to TB twelve. Yeah, that's not bad game too, right? No, that'll be fun. That'll be a really the good Monday one. Nighter is so awesome. Like Bills Jets guys, <laughs> it's so close. Wait, are we, we doing two, picks this week? Two more uh, sleeps. D- I, I, do we have a sponsor? 
I don't know. Let's do picks. Let's do picks. Anyways. I thought no. I thought we did. I thought we have one. I thought we did too. Oh, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. He's been away. Oh, he's he's been away from George. He's just wetting his beak feet because feet we still wet. owe Maddie Rose a song, gonna, Patrick. Yeah, yeah, you guys got to sing me a ditty. I think Patrick and I are going to duet where we each have a part we have to sing. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I know. Is Matt? Hey, sorry. The song? We got to own up to it. No, I know. I know. Is Maddie picking the song? No, we'll pick the song we'll to sing to him. Okay. All right. All right. I'm and cool he'll enjoy that. it. You should do the Lion Sleeps Tonight. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll pick some games tomorrow or, uh, on Wednesday, and I'll throw them our way for Thursday. We'll just, start doing um, the picks Thursday. I wish, Maddie, you could, like, while we sing, do you, I wish you could just, like, kick back and pet a hairless cat. I always wish I could just kick back and pet a hairless cat. I'd rather put my uh, dog. She fits perfectly in my lap, and she's so much more adorable you know, than a hairless sweaters. cat. So, like, this type of weather, you need sweaters for the hairless cat. Yeah, you it's do. True. Yeah. Um, Michael Grange, straight ahead. And if you went on a uh, dream vacation and this happened, I don't know if you'd be too happy about it. We'll do that to wrap up the show. It's the big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. It's the big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Uh, GVP, did you play this on purpose? Yeah. With the news this weekend? Yes. Okay. Well, I, I told him like I was like my f- bad. We should have been playing Jimmy Buffett and Smash Mouth all morning. Okay. Well, we both lost uh, Jimmy Buffett over the weekend, and uh, former lead singer Steve of Smash Harman. Mouth, uh, Steve Harwell, Harwell passed yeah. away at the age of fifty-six. Way to bring things down. Yeah. What do you mean? Dude, this is all star. This is a great track. No, this will never I, bring like, me down. Saying, I'm not saying it isn't, but uh, compared to the story I'm about to do in like fifteen minutes, oh, it's only like fifteen minutes. Why. We got a full interview okay, before. Right. No problem. Okay. Um, have an idea for tomorrow's text topic already, because Maddie and uh, Patrick and I got to owe Maddie and uh, a song, so we're gonna leave it up to our listeners the duet we should sing mm, to Maddie. We'll do that nah, tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. The listeners will decide what song we'll sing mm-hmm. to uh, Matt Rose. But right now, um, what a weekend for Canada basketball. <laughs> all the all the negativity, cynicism, all gone. See you later. Canada's off to Paris next summer at the Olympics to talk about it. Sportsnet's Michael Grange on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Barkus Hotline. Michael, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, Michael, when, when Canada was down by double digits twice on uh, over the weekend on Sunday, where you're like, okay, here we go again. I know I've written this story before. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, particularly when they brought it all the way back and then went, ended up down 12 to start the fourth. Hmm. Um, I just didn't see how they were going to pull that off again. And, um, and yeah, I, I, I was uh, concerned <laughs> for myself. I was like, man, I just, I don't know if I can write this again. Um, talk about this again. <laughs> I was concerned, honestly, for the people who run that program and the amount of investment they've made to to run top tier uh, international basketball federations on the men's and women's side, as well as the opportunities they provide to all the kind of the age group teams coming up. I mean, Canada basketball puts a lot of teams in a lot of places all season long and uh you know it's an amazing thing to have nba players on your roster but nba players they need to be treated a certain way and it's you know it's not two guys to a room it's not uh, cafeteria style meals it's it's 
what they expect as you know world-class professionals and that comes at a cost and and Canada basketball has done a really good job of uh, building out that process and um, making it so that when NBA the NBA guys do come that they're they're treated in a way that you know is worthy of their status and um, you know the premise has always been is you know they they when they do it um, they'll win and you know everything else will take care of itself in terms of sponsorship and attention and coverage and all of that and and so I'm not exaggerating that's the kind of stuff I was thinking about is, is it looked like wow. they were gonna you know, blow it. And, um, you know, not so much blowing against Spain. Spain's obviously a world-class team. But, you know, the way they performed against Brazil that put them in the situation they were in, it was just unacceptable. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. And, and the fact that the way they come back and how they got it done and how many people had their fingerprints on it, I think is a great thing. And it was a great moment. And uh, all that other stuff can, can kind of start, you know, that it's – there's a planning cycle going on between now and, and the Olympics and beyond, and I think it's a great moment for the sport. Uh, Michael, for our listeners who aren't really familiar with international basketball, how tough was that to do it, especially against a team like Spain? Well, I mean, Spain's the number one ranked team in the world in the FIBA rankings, and a lot of those rankings are ranking points, let's say, are earned over time. It's an eight-year system, but they're the defending European champions, they're defending world champions from 2019 they don't have all the same personnel like the hall of fame gasol brothers and um you know a couple of other guys have aged out but um they're still a formidable program and um to do it against spain in that environment where it's not only winner go home for the tournament it's winner it's you lose and you know your olympic hopes of qualifying uh, at least this season are dashed um you know, it's the highest stakes you can have almost. And, um, you know, so to do it in that environment uh, really speaks to the quality of that team and the quality of some of those individuals involved. And it really is a landmark type win. Michael, we know that Shea Gilgis-Alexander is a superstar in the NBA, but has he exceeded your expectations for this tournament? No, he hasn't exceeded them. Um you know, my expectations of him coming in were very, very high. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of had him and Luka Doncic with Slovenia, who they'll be playing on Wednesday, as the most likely MVPs in the tournament. Um, I think Shea is just scratching the surface about how of how great an NBA player he's going to be. You know, he was all first-team All-NBA last year at age 24, and you know, he's only going to, there's nothing about his game that's going to regress or age, you know, his, his game is based on his incredible physical dimensions and his even more incredible combination of IQ, skill, and, uh, you know, confidence. And, you know, that, those things in combination, that they can't fail. I'm sorry, they just can't. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, there was no doubt in my mind he was going to come into this tournament and as long as he was healthy, perform at the level we've seen. I'm not even sure if we've seen the best of Shea uh, so far. That So so he's he's been very consistent with my exceedingly high expectations of what he could accomplish at this level. He had a great performance in that Sunday game. It got Canada into the Olympics, but it also got them into the quarterfinals. What did you make of kind of the reaction from the players and the staff after the game to not only getting into the quarters, but 
having the Olympics as well. It feels like you achieve two things at once. One may be bigger than the other, but you don't want to forget about the other one that is more immediate right now. Oh, absolutely. And, and I mean, I think the Olympic thing was a, is, a, is a big, big, big deal. And the fact that um, they were able to accomplish it in that situation after, as I said, their, their hiccup against Brazil I mean, you know, I think that was worthy of the kind of celebration and the relief maybe that, uh, you know, some of those guys showed and you saw Dwight Powell crying and Kelly Olenek hugging. And, you know, it's those guys have put on, put, you know, they've been pros for 10, 12 years. And this has been sort of the background music of their whole careers is can this generation of Canadian players get back to the Olympics? Canada's only Canada's men's program. The women are, they're good. They've been to three straight, but, um, you know, the men's program uh, has been to one Olympic Games since 1988, and that was Steve Nash in 2000. Uh, the program has been in some really low uh, ebbs over those years for a whole bunch of reasons uh, not worth going into. Um, and even this group of players, uh, they failed, right? Kelly Olenek, Dwight Powell. Um, they were in Venezuela in 2015, and they blew a seven-point lead with us in two minutes to play to play to a team that they'd previously won by 20, beaten by 25 in the same tournament. Um, you know, Shea and RJ, as young as they were, they were uh, you know in Manila in 2016 with Dwight, with Kelly, and others when they got beat by France in the finals of the Olympic qualifying tournament, uh, playing tournament. Uh, you know, most of these guys were on the team. Uh, you know, had an opportunity to go to the world championships in 2019 in China, that kind of completely fell apart. And that was another opportunity wasted. Uh, the Olympic qualifying tournament in Victoria, which was delayed a year. Um, you know, most of these guys were on that team and they get beat by Thomas Sadaransky prayer, Czech Republic, um, in the final seconds of overtime. Um, you know, they've been beat up and, they uh, to kind of come through, I think, especially after uh, fumbling the bag, so to speak, against Brazil, um, it's worthy of celebrating. And but to your point, um, you know, this is an incredible opportunity that presents itself. They don't have to play Team USA until the final. I think Slovenia is a worthy opponent, mainly because they have Luka Doncic, who's you know. Pickett is he the best player in the world top five I don't know what the number is but he's incredible and uh you know but they're not they're not a team that should beat Canada um you get to the semifinals you're playing Serbia that don't have Nikola Jokic um a superb team they play an incredible brand of basketball but Canada can and arguably should beat them and then you're in the gold medal final against a very young very inexperienced team USA team that obviously is loaded with talent but, you know, they were, they're vulnerable. They got beat by Lithuania, and we're presuming, uh, you know, USA advances. All I, what I'm trying to say here is there's a real chance to win a world championship. And, uh, you know, and as good as Team Canada could be in the future with different iterations of, of their talent base, they might not have as good a chance as they have now to do it. And even if you're kind of one of those who looks at the Olympics as a bigger accomplishment, bigger event, in some ways it is, in some ways it's not, um, you know, this group needs every competitive rep together they can possibly get. I mean, under Jordi Fernandez, with this iteration of players, they've only played, I believe, 10 games together. So, Crazy. you know, if they can get three more and get all the way to the final, 
um, under increasing pressure against better opponents, regardless of the outcome, um, you know, it sets them up that much better uh, when they do go to the Olympics in Paris next year. Michael Grange covers of the NBA, the Raptors for Sportsnet, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, 960, the fan. Um, is size an issue for Canada, not only in this tournament and moving forward ahead to the next Olympics? Because it's not like uh, they're Barry Bonds in their 30s and going to have a growth spurt here, Michael. Is that going to be an issue for Canada, maybe the only one? Yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of a weak point they have. And then in the international game, um, you know, just because of the rules, you're allowed defensively to camp out in the key around the rim. And so, you know, there is a kind of a more prominent role for pure size in the way the game is played. Uh, Canada's bigs, you know, Dwight Powell plays his heart out, um, you know, but he's an undersized center at any level, NBA or FIBA. He gets it done, though, so... Nothing, not taking anything away from him. Kelly Olenek is really more of a stretch four, and you know he's not he's not someone you want, you know, defending at the at the at the at the five necessarily. So yeah, it's if you look comb through talent, Canada's talent, and there's a lot of it. You know the that that superstar big is not on it is not part of it. Um, we'll see. We've got this young fellow Zach Eady who's was the college player of the year last year, Purdue. He's with the team, not getting much playing time, but he'll be another year polished uh, this time next year. And, you know, he could be, end up being, you know, somebody, I think long-term in this program, he's going to be a very significant player. Will he be ready to contribute at the Olympics? Maybe. Is he ready to contribute now? Uh, we're not sure, but uh, you know, but I mean, there's different ways to, to kind of play the game. And one can advantage Canada has, over almost every team, and I might even say over Team USA, is they have like a lot of long, athletic wing players. Um, you know, the point guard six six plays even bigger. Uh, Nikita, that's Shea Gilgis Alexander. They've got Dylan Brooks who can play literally guard five positions at his size and strength. Um, Lou Dort might be a better defender than, than Dylan Brooks, and Dylan Brooks was All NBA last year. Nikhil Alexander Walker, just like his cousin. Super long, rangy, proven defender. Uh, R.J. Barrett is a solid defender, great size at that position. And so what they maybe lack in a pure rim-protecting big is a bunch of wings that they can kind of employ and switch and, you know, kind of really muck up opposing uh, offenses because of that. So, you know, it's very hard in international basketball to have everything, you know, like you're dealing with the population you have outside of Team USA, maybe everyone to short something. Um, so I think Canada is, is as well set up as any country to, to achieve at the highest level. Michael, how much how much can this team be better with Jamal Murray and Andrew Wiggins on it, hopefully next summer in Paris? Uh, they can, you know what, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit unfair to, to kind of speculate on that given, you know, the, 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 the roster and what the guys there have committed. I understand right. why everyone's talking about it. Um, but, you know, to answer the question, they can be, you know, those two guys would make a huge difference. And it's no disrespect to the team over in Manila now. But, uh, you know, Jamal Murray is every inch the closer that Shea, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is. And if you're trying defensively to load up on Shea, which teams have no choice but to do, you're just hoping – that you're not plugging, you're not creating leaks elsewhere that you can't plug, and and if all of a sudden, 
you add another player in Jamal Murray, who is would be on this team the best shooter by far. Um, it's you're it's almost impossible for a, a, a team to properly defend both those guys. Then all of a sudden you have Andrew Wiggins, who is the best combination of any of the attributes of the other Canadian wing players. He's a very very good defender. He's a better shooter than any of those guys. He does have the ability to get to the basket, create his own his own shot. And all of a sudden, he's doing that as your third option. In other words, you know, a team's rotating to get the ball out of Shea's hands, and they're scrambling to get the ball out of Jamal's hands. And then all of a sudden, you know, mid to late clock, it's Andrew Wiggins they're trying to figure out. Good luck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's putting it on your head. And, um, you know, only the United States would have three players of that quality on, on their roster. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't predict but would not be shocked if both those guys are on the, on Team Canada next summer combined with the group that's already been part and gotten this far, um, Canada would be playing for a gold medal and could win one. Uh, super, super exciting. Uh, Michael Grange uh, covers the NBA, the Raptors for Sportsnet. He's on the FIBA World Cup broadcast. We'll be watching tomorrow morning. Thanks for this, Michael. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. There he is in the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline yeah you add Wiggins and Jamal Murray to a team that's already pretty damn good like it's it's exciting and it's exciting to see a guy like Shea Gilgis Alexander like just be a closer and a guy you can just put the ball in his hands and he just delivers and I know like I know Maddie you know basketball is not your biggest thing but like even watching that game on Sunday like that step back late was just absolutely gross like just when you have that guy with that much talent and one of the best scorers in the NBA it's cool that he's Canadian, and uh, this team uh, could make some noise next summer in Paris at the Olympics, which would be super fun. Imagine if they played the United States in the gold medal at the Olympics. How awesome would that be? Going up against LeBron and company, if LeBron's yeah. on the team. Steph. Like, yeah. Yeah, because like, this is like the, the B team for the U.S., and yeah. they're still really good players, but there's yeah. so many more guys that aren't playing for the U.S., but like, all right. Well, it's like yeah. when we used to we'll talk about Team Canada at the hockey exactly. Right? So exactly. Like they can essentially yeah. ice two teams, yeah. and both of them would be competitive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the Americans when it comes to basketball. Exactly, but no, that would be that would be just amazing to see that. I'm excited for the game tomorrow. Yeah, like, like the Olympics are going to be sweet, but like right now they they can yeah. do a little bit of damage here. Like they. The, sure. They they don't have to face the Americans before the final in case they get there. They right? avoid the, Jokic, Jokic in the in a possible semi. All they have to really deal with Luka Doncic and and pieces for Slovenia. Obviously, they play this style that they are more acclimated with the FIBA style, and that's why these games are so tough. Like how Brazil got Canada off guard because Brazil's so much more used to this world style of game uh, because they don't you know they're playing in the international style. So. This is a big one for Canada basketball going forward, and and there's so many guys that like talking about. Uh, Murray's not here. Wiggins isn't here. Ben Mathurin isn't here. It's like mm-hmm. it, the, the talent isn't stopping. And like like Zach yep. Eady, like he's one to watch down the line as he's going to be entering his final year at Purdue, a potential lottery pick as well in, in the 2024 NBA draft. Yeah, again, uh, second most uh, players uh, in the NBA come from Canada. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's real, and and we're. We're, we're seeing that, and that's why the, the frustration for so many years with Canada basketball. Why can't you be better internationally? We're finally seeing that in this tournament and hopefully at the Olympics next summer. i got a couple of minutes to go here. Uh, we're going to do that on the text line tomorrow. Uh, you have to pick the duet. We'll do it tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow. That'll be the uh, topic tomorrow. What duet should uh, myself and Patrick sing to Maddie Rose to lo- own up to our bet for Maddie being the football champion last season? But first, uh, Maddie. 
I know uh, you talked about it uh, for months. Uh, the planning went into it for months. Your trip to Italy this summer. Uh, how, yeah. how long did it take you to plan out that thing? Well, I didn't plan anything, but the better half, it took her better part of a year, I would say. Nine months, something like that. Yeah, so nine months. So um, Yeah, plus like a lot of pre-discussions and stuff, but like nine sure. months out, we bought the plane plane tickets, and, and now and then it was go time. Yeah. So uh, let me take you to an incident that happened this Friday. So let's say instead of uh, Italy, Maddie, you're going with your better half and a trip you're both excited for and, and something you've been planning for months and months and months. You're super excited. The day's finally here. You're on that bird getting ready to fly to Europe. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, two hours into your Delta flight from Atlanta to Spain to Barcelona, to be exact. Ooh, well, I'm flying Delta. Going to There's Spain my is... first mistake. Well, A-O. Um, sh- shout out to e- Delta. I don't even know if they're bad. I just No, I've, I've had positive experiences on Delta Okay, Airlines. good. Right on. So you're flying from uh, Atlanta to uh, Spain. You have this dream trip booked. You're going to land in Barcelona. You're going to see everything. It's going to be incredible. Do I get to see and the running two... of the Bulls? Sure. Is that okay, right go to right Pamplona. Yeah. Why not? I'm blown Sweet. But two hours into the flight, they had to turn the bird around. Why? Something happened during the flight. Was it Andre the Giant related? It could be. Oh. <laughs> uh, we have the actual audio from the pilot. Oh, what? I, saying I what happened in the this. plane. <laughs> what happened in the plane <laughs> to make it turn around? What? GVP, please. What? A biohazard issue. I, you know, we've had a passenger who had diarrhea all the way through the airplane, so they want us to come back to Atlanta. I mean, I get it. You can't. You might as well just cut it out. Two hours. You're you're kind of over the Atlantic, so you got to just turn around, clean this thing up, because you cannot do seven more hours or six more hours on that plane with that. What do you mean all throughout the plane? Like, was he running uh, around? GVP, GVP. Yeah. Please again with the clip. A biohazard issue. I, you know, we've had a passenger who had diarrhea all the way through the airplane, so they want us to come back to Atlanta. Like he probably was at the front of the seat, like what front row, he? and the bathrooms are in the back, so he's yeah. What leaving a trail like a shuffling? slug? Yeah, shuffling probably his feet. Yeah. Well, it's coming down. Oh lordy because lord! Because that's a big plane, and those yeah. I mean they they but they they have the ones at the front, don't they? I don't know. This is messy. Yeah, um, apparently uh, this is this has been uh, confirmed by the uh, the American FAA. Um, apparently, cleaning crews were able to scrub down the aircraft once it landed in Atlanta, since flight records show it was used for another flight shortly after. But you know you're what? On your dream trip. You're gonna have a nice romantic trip with your better half, Maddie. And some dude, I think, is shuffling down the aisle, squirting that all over the plane. Wow! Thanks for that last part. Um, when we were coming back from Italy, there was someone who was just letting them rip. Oh. And it was like every hour, <laughs> Haley on. or I would just look at each other like, what is that? We got home and Haley literally was like, I stretched the collar on my shirt. I had my nose tucked into my shirt so much on that flight that I have stretched the collar of my shirt oh. and it is now garbage. So uh, I've been through TV, something please, similar. Please. GVP, one more time with the pilot. I don't please. know if we need to. Negative. It's just a, a biohazard issue. I, you know, we've had a passenger who had diarrhea all the way through the airplane, so they want us to come back to Atlanta. Why does it sound like they're on a chopper? <laughs> In the background, it kind of oh. sounds like a, you know, the chopper sound. Yeah. 
Um, before we go, GVP, what do we uh, – GVP. Uh, well, and GVP. But, Patrick, what do we got coming up in uh, Big Show More, Big Show Extra, Big Show Hour 4, Big well, Show Well, we got some Stamps audio to play from last night's big uh, big win over the Edmonton Elks, so we're going to play that. And then uh, maybe replay our uh, Elias Lindholm conversation. That was a pretty good debate as well. Cool. All yeah. right, we'll do that. Uh, follow us on uh, 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 Do the Podcast and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon. Follow, we'll rate, back subscribe. Tomorrow. Yeah, that's great. And uh, we'll probably play some songs because you'll pick the duet that Patrick and I are going to sing to Matt Rose on Thursday. Uh, that'll be fun. And we'll play Impossible Flames Trivia. Guys, don't that's forget, right. yeah, tomorrow's yeah, Wednesday. Possible Flames Trivia. Possible yeah. Flames Trivia. Don't you guys tomorrow. forget. It's not my fault. Okay. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. 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 Sit, Ubu, sit. Good dog.